Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. What is it about our brains? What is it about the way that we think? And is there a way that we can rewire our brains? so that we can really create maximum resilience and we actually have a way to bounce back and have well-being. Why is it that we so often witness people blowing their top or sinking into the fear of failure or people-pleasing and accommodating others? What is it about our brains? Well, my guest today is Linda Graham, and she is a clinical therapist trained in a variety of approaches, a mindfulness teacher, and an expert on the neuroscience of human relationships who trains other clinicians in applying neuroscience in their work. She's from Northern California, and she has written the book, Bouncing Back, Rewiring Your Brain for Maximum Resilience and Well-Being. Uh, this is really a very, very good book. I think it is really allowing not just a practical understanding of what this is all about, but it literally takes you through some of the different steps, some of the, the different places that we all hit through our lives, regardless of the obstacles and the different challenges that show up for us, because we are definitely called to cope with all kinds of things. And occasionally we have to respond with some grace under pressure. Other times we don't always do that. So let's learn from Linda Graham how we can actually rewire our brain and achieve more of a response than a reaction. Welcome, Linda, to 1111 Talk Radio. Thank you very much. So it is true that we end up having what you call hiccups and hurricanes in our lives, and mm-hmm. that can be anything from losing our wallet and car keys to uh, taking care of someone that's sick to uh, losing a job or, or just having a, a total crisis in our life. And how do we move from a place of constant reaction to a place of response, but not only response, but getting to a place of response with grace and pressure? Okay, so you're pointing already to what I call in the book the five C's of coping. Since I sent the book to the printer, there are now six C's of coping. But there's a trajectory that I can lead readers through in the book of returning to calm, using compassion to do that, clarity or seeing clearly what's what and how we're reacting to what's what and what might be a better response, connecting to resources, coming into a sense of competence, and then coming into our sense of courage. So through the book, I'm leading readers through exercises to help us return to calm our baseline of equilibrium, 
where we can be calm and relaxed and yet engaged and alert. And from there, we can begin to see how to respond more flexibly, more adaptively. It is often the practice of compassion or self-compassion that brings us back to that state of calm, taking a moment to notice, ouch, this hurts. This is a moment of suffering and offering ourselves a moment of comfort or care or soothing, which then brings us to a kind of clarity where we can actually see clearly, we can step back, we can notice and name what's happening, we can shift our perspectives, we can discern what our options and choices might be. Often among those choices is to connect to resources, whether they're material, spiritual, relational. Um, I talk about being able to use people, relationships, as both refuge and resource. Then that brings us into more of a sense of competence, of mastery, of sure, I can do this. And that leads to our courage to do one scary thing a day or do the many scary things a day that we need to do. All of those practices then bring us to more resilience, which is simply the capacity to respond flexibly. The researchers know that we have external stressors, including the ones you mentioned, getting a diagnosis, losing a job, losing your car keys in your wallet. There are external stressors. How we respond to those stressors is our stress response. So when we can change our stress response to those external stressors, we can be far more resilient and have much more well-being. So if we're in that crisis moment, is it because we get to that place initially because we are just hardwired as negative beings? Is it that we immediately go to one side of our brain and we don't use the other side? What gets us to that place where we can't even decide to go to the six seeds? Right, so we are hardwired with survival responses. When there is a sense of danger or threat, we will respond with fight or flight or freeze or numbing out or collapsing. We can also respond by reaching out for help, getting connected to resources, and that helps keep our higher brain online. I've, in the book I call the CEO of resilience, it's the prefrontal cortex. It's our executive center where we can make decisions wisely. That part of our brain has to be functioning in order for us to be able to respond skillfully. When we get the signals from the lower brain that respond immediately and unconsciously to a sense of threat or danger, to a sense of crisis, we need to be able to come out of our fight, flight, freeze, numbing out, or collapsing into a sense of pausing, noticing, managing our emotions, stepping back, reflecting, and being able to choose wisely. So resilience is based on being able to keep the higher brain online. It's not hijacked, flooded, shut down by the survival responses of the lower brain. Yes, those are hardwired in. We have a negativity bias in the brain. That's how we survive as individuals and as a species. We pay much more attention to experiences that are negative and intense rather than to the experiences that are positive and subtle. But we can use the neuroplasticity of the brain, the fact that the brain can change lifelong. It can grow new neurons lifelong. It can create new patterns lifelong. We learn to use our own self-directed neuroplasticity 
to be able to change the brain, strengthen the structures of resilience that we need so that we're more able to monitor and manage those survival responses. We don't have to stay in them for more than the few seconds it takes to alert us that something is happening that we need to pay attention to. And we can come back into our more thinking, feeling mind. It's both the right hemisphere of the brain, which processes our emotions and our relationships and our place in the world, with the left hemisphere, more thinking, planning, logical side of the brain. And we actually need both to be able to respond resiliently. So the book has exercises to strengthen the functioning of the various parts of the higher brain, including the part of the brain that integrates those two hemispheres. So... We, we have this built-in resilience. We also have this built-in uh, negative bias of the brain. What is the moment? Is it, is it a moment of choice that gets us to finally say, okay, I'm going to use mindfulness to foster awareness, or I'm going to use empathy to create my connections, or I'm going to do some of these practices. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to be better. I can do better. You know, what is it? What is the moment that that happens? Does something switch in the brain and we finally realize it? Do we break enough that we finally realize it? Or is it something that has to come to awareness and be a conscious choice? Um, both mindfulness, bringing things to conscious awareness, and the empathy, the practices that make it safe to allow and accept and embrace these experiences coming to awareness. That's what allows us to bring the implicitly encoded, the patterns that we learned early on in our lives that went into our unconscious memory. It allows us to bring those implicit patterns to consciousness so that we can rewire them. And I could talk in a minute about the mechanisms that happen in the brain where we actually rewire old patterns. We're not just replacing them or overriding them. We can actually rewire them. But the brain develops from experience, and early on, the experiences that we have condition our strategies. We learn to be resilient or not based on the interactions of people around us early on. And those patterns are encoded in the brain by 18 months of age. Mm. Whatever experiences that we have early on become part of our deeply implicit memory bank. And that is why people have learned to blow their top or to become people pleasers or to just run away and go be by themselves as a way of coping. Those patterns started early on. They're part of our early attachment styles. What we need to be able to do is to create enough resources to use the tools so that we can do the rewiring. Yes, self-directed neuroplasticity is a choice. And Richie Davidson, who runs one of the major neuroimaging labs in the country, says once that we understand how much the brain is shaped by experience, and once we understand that we can choose the experiences that will reshape the brain, we have not only the opportunity, but we have the responsibility to choose the experiences that will rewire our brain most safely, most effectively, and most efficiently for more resilience and well-being. So, yes, we're making, in fact, the um, five practices that accelerate brain change are presence, coming into the present moment awareness. We're not distracted. We're not in denial. We're not in dissociation. We show up. We set an intention because intention primes the brain to be more neuroplastic. So we set an intention of what we want to cultivate or what behavior, what direction we want to send our behavior in. We have to persevere. 
the brain learns, the brain encodes, the brain rewires by experiences repeated over and over and over again. The more we repeat an experience, the more the neurons encoding that experience will fire. The more the neurons fire, the more they strengthen the connections between themselves and create new circuits and pathways. So in order to rewire the brain, we have to persevere in these practices. The other two are refuges where we can take a time out and find a safe place or a safe person or a safe practice to regroup and resources so that we get the the support that we need. My guest today is Linda Graham, and she has written the book, Bouncing Back, Rewiring Your Brain for Maximum Resilience and Well-Being. The prefrontal cortex manages the surges of our body-based emotions through conscious reflection and wise discernment, which allows us to retain energy and passion for coping and thriving while preventing us from being constantly panicked by floods of emotions or paralyzed by shutting down against the emotional flood. As we look at our brain, as we look at our life, as we make the choices and allow the practices that help to accelerate this brain change, we create the rewiring of the brain that's necessary. You can find out more about Linda Graham at lindagraham-mft.net. She has several events that are coming up, including Positive Emotions Build Resilience at Esalen Institute in September. In addition, Neuroscience of Resilience and Renewal, also at Esalen in September. And then the Neuroscience of Mindfulness and Compassion in Psychotherapy at California Institute of Integral Studies. And finally, Spirit Rock Meditation Center in Whitaker, California, November 16th. So definitely check out what she has to offer. That's lindagraham-mft.net. And again, the book is entitled Bouncing Back. Rewiring Your Brain for Maximum Resilience and Well-Being. I'll be right back with Linda Graham. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. 
Before we get back to my wonderful guest and this fabulous topic that we are talking about, I do want you to know that you can get your free life subscription to 1111 Magazine at any time. Just go to my website, simran-sing.com, and sign up for your free lifetime subscription. There's some amazing articles, lots of supportive tools. I always do a page of intentions that's very, very wonderful. And this is free to humanity, so feel free to share that with your friends and family so that they also know. In addition, all of 1111 Talk Radio archives are always up, so you can go back to 2009 and hear lots of amazing changemakers, leading, best-selling authors, and individuals that are truly coming up with some beautiful works of writing that you can know about. Finally, definitely tap into The Rebel Road, a tour that I'm taking on the road over the next year, 11 months, four women, two kids, an RV, and a one-woman show in 66 cities across North America to inspire you, to help you understand the beauty of light to dark, the journey of the soul, and also tap into many individuals across the country that are stepping into their dreams and learning that they can choose to have a life that they desire to live in the way that they want it. So definitely tap into all of those things. You can go to the simmering-sing.com website and find out more. My guest today is Glenda Graham, and she has written Bouncing Back, Rewiring Your Brain for Maximum Resilience and Well-Being a powerful combination of neuroscience, traditional therapy, and Buddhist mindfulness practice, Linda Graham lays out the clear exercises and relatable examples the process of rewiring our brains and recovering our resilience. She talks about neuroplasticity and its role in our resilience, how to how do early unconscious patterns influence our coping skills, and many of the top tools for changing the brain, along with the five C's of coping. So welcome back, Linda. Thank you very much. So I want to talk a little bit more about that negative part of us mm-hmm. and how do we make ourselves positive because it seems like positive affirmations. Talk about that. Talk about positive affirmations. Okay. One, one of the chapters of the book is about how positive emotions build resilience and there's been so much research in the positive psychology movement about how we can use positive emotions to put the brakes on that negativity bias to open up more possibilities and more perspectives, to build resources of social collaboration, cooperation, openness to learning, um, more creativity and more productivity. What the research has shown is that being able to use positive emotions is not just a correlation to outcomes like resilience, but it actually causes resilience, creativity, optimism, more of a sense of flourishing. So in the book, there are several exercises of using positive affirmations to put the brakes on that negativity bias. We not only will feel better, but we'll also function better. One of the um, key exercises that I teach is a gratitude practice because they have found that people who have a regular gratitude practice daily have less stress, better health, They are at less risk for heart disease, stroke, and diabetes. They live seven to nine years longer. They tend to be less lonely and isolated, more connected to people, more optimistic. Um, They have more resources. So I teach people how to cultivate gratitude, which then promotes what they call the left shift in the brain. So when we're focusing on positive emotions rather than negative emotions, 
the, the neuroscientists in their scanners have discovered that there's more brain activity lighting up in the left hemisphere of the brain. The importance of that is that the left hemisphere of the brain is more approach-oriented. It keeps us more open to experience and learning. The left hemisphere is what carries forward that negativity bias from the lower brain. It's meant for our survival, but it leads us to a stance of more withdrawal and avoidance to protect ourselves. So when we can shift the functioning of the brain from the right hemisphere with a negativity bias, withdrawal and avoiding to the left hemisphere with a more approach and openness to learning, then we are more resilient and we're more able to fulfill our goals and our dreams. So when people practice um, things like positive affirmations or positive emotions, they're actually priming the brain to rewire in that direction. If we can imagine ourselves doing something, we know that Imagination can be as powerful as experiencing something in real time in terms of brain function. In other words, if we imagine seeing a banana, the same neurons fire in our visual cortex as when we see a banana for real. So when we can imagine ourselves doing something, that is rewiring the circuits in the brain as though we were doing that thing. So when people, in a sense, rehearse, they're um, strengthening the neural circuitry in the brain that will allow them to do that activity. When we can imagine a different outcome other than what actually happened, we're not rewriting history, but we actually are changing our relationship to that history, and we are rewiring, rewiring the neural circuits in the brain so that makes it more likely we'll have a different outcome the next time. So being able to choose to focus on healthy relationships, to focus on positive emotions and affirmations, to be able to discern what's happening, how am I reacting to what's happening, is that working, do I need to do something different? Those are all ways we're strengthening our brain to be more resilient. Yeah, that sounds very much like what uh, has been written about and what has been spoken about athletes doing. Mm-hmm. Um, when they when they win competitions, that they actually visualize themselves doing that. So so that's very similar that's in right. what you're talking about. We're just looking at ourselves as having a movie that we want to live, so that we rewire our brain enough to be able to possibly experience that. Exactly. So in that situation, where you're talking about these different practices that we have to cultivate, you're talking about intention and. And, and being more positive and all those things, there are many people that say, well, I don't have the discipline or I can't in the moment remember to do that or to think about that. Uh, is, is part of this discipline also the rewiring that has to take place? Or, or just the choice, that just, is that a muscle that has to be built? Well, there's been a lot of research done on willpower, and they're discovering that when people have a sense of I intend, may I, which opens them up to a possibility, they're actually more successful at achieving their goals than if they say, I must, or I will, or I should, because then that sets them up for failure and for performance and for failure rather than for possibility. So when people can set an intention without setting in place a judgment or a standard, 
that they're going to fail if they don't meet that intention, they're actually much more likely to meet the intention. The other thing that we know is that the brain learns best in interactions with other brains. And so it's very helpful if you want to have a discipline to cultivate a new behavior to have a buddy to help you cultivate that new behavior. So in other words, when people at the end of the day check in about their gratitude practice or their joy practice or their creativity or their productivity or their courage, when people just even check in by email, knowing someone else is there listening and caring actually helps with the discipline. Again, it's not a judgment. It's not a report card. It's just a sense of support and being understood and held in awareness and care. So when we want to change our brains, one of the best ways to do that is to do that with other people at the same time. You have a whole section on how bonding and belonging really nourishes that resilience. Mm -hmm. And and so to, to have that feeling of someone having your back or having that trusting in another, um, that also is part of rewiring. It's part of, of having the understanding that you're not isolated and alone because then that ends up in that side of the brain that wants to go back into that negative thinking. Right, and actually part of the power of that section of the book is that it is the interactions we have with other people early on that not only teaches us our strategies of resilience, but it actually shapes the development of the brain itself. And so the more secure and safe and trusting and loved we feel in those early relationships, the stronger the prefrontal cortex is as it develops. And it can develop all the functions that it needs for resilience. It learns how to regulate the body and the nervous system. It learns how to manage our emotions and quell the fear response of the lower brain. It learns how to attune to ourselves and other people to know what's happening. It allows us to be empathic with ourselves and with other people to get a coherent narrative, a sense of the story of what's happening. It promotes self-awareness and insight, and it promotes response flexibility. So the more we are in relationships where we feel safe and loved and cherished, the stronger the functioning of that part of the brain is. So in that section of the book, I'm leading people through exercises involving other people, involving interactions, so that we actually strengthen that part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, and we're actually strengthening strengthening the inner base of resilience, that inner sense of security, that we're okay, we're loved, we're acceptable, and that allows us to be more resilient in our functioning. So we're sort of rebuilding that or strengthening that if we didn't fully get that the first time around. You know, that kind of begs that conversation, which came first, the chicken or the egg, because so often we want to have that on the outside, but until we allow ourselves to have that compassion and empathy to create those connections, and when we allow that ourselves to have that self-acceptance, it seems like that is almost necessary before we're even able to fully engage in that bonding and belonging that you talk about, and you have a whole section that goes into the, the empathetic aspect and the self-acceptance aspect. We often learn self-acceptance because we are accepted by other people. And when that's hard to take in that self-acceptance because we're not fully accepting ourselves, 
there are several exercises to soften that and help people actually take in the love that's coming toward them. But there are also exercises to cultivate self-compassion in those moments when there isn't somebody else around. And you need to be able to put on your own oxygen mask first and to know that you can offer yourself care, comfort, soothing. When you do that, you're activating your own caregiving system. You're activating the release of oxytocin in the brain, which is the hormone of safety and trust. It is the hormone of bonding and attachment. It is the hormone of calm and connect. And when the oxytocin is flowing through the brain and body, it is the direct and immediate antidote to the stress hormone cortisol. So that when we can remember a moment of being loved and cherished, we can actually reduce our stress response in that very moment. There's an exercise that I teach in the book that is one of the first exercises I teach anywhere in workshops called Hand on the Heart because it allows you to come out of a panic attack in less than a minute. So if I could just describe that just very briefly. Okay. Actually, if we can do this, let's take a commercial break, and when we come back, I'd love for you to do the Hand on the Heart exercise. Okay, My guest. My guest today is Linda Graham, and she is the author of Bouncing Back, Rewiring Your Brain for Maximum Resilience and Well-Being. And this book is filled, I mean, really, really packed with exercises that are going to completely help you to understand the process and the different places that you can rewire your brain and how your brain developed, how it was in the first place. So uh, definitely pick up your book. You can find out more about Linda Graham at Linda Graham hyphen Emerson Mary Epson Frank T is in Tom dot net. That's Linda Graham hyphen MFT dot net. Check out some of the events that she will be uh, speaking at that are coming up in September as well as in November. She's going to be at Esalen for two engagements and then she'll be at the California Institute of Integral Studies and Spirit Rock Meditation Center in, nor- in November. So definitely check all that out and we'll be right back with Linda Graham. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You 
are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. As the saying goes, it's not what happens to us, but how we react to it. While some suffer and seem unable to move on, others grieve and heal. The difference is resilience, the ability to face and handle life's challenges, whether everyday disappointments or extraordinary disasters. Resilience is innate in the brain, but our capacity for it can be impaired by our conditioning. Unhelpful patterns of responses are learned over time and can become fixed in our neural circuitry. But neuroscience now shows that what previously seemed hardwired can, in fact, be rewired. Resilience can be recovered. Bouncing Back, a new book by Linda Graham, illustrates how you can do that. There are clear exercises and examples which will allow you to rebuild your clarity, connection, competence, calm, and courage. The resulting resilience provides a core of well-being and saves relationships, jobs, and even lives. Linda Graham is a licensed psychotherapist and a meditation teacher in full-time practice in the San Francisco Bay Area. She integrates her passion for neuroscience, mindfulness, and relational psychology through trainings, consultations, workshops, and conferences nationally. You can find out more about her at lindagraham-mft.net. And right now, we have the pleasure of Linda engaging us in an exercise, a hand-over-heart exercise, and she's going to re-explain what that is going to do for us and then take us right through it, Linda. Okay. So, I'll... This exercise, Hand on the Heart, can be done in a minute, but as I walk us through it and talk us through it, it may take a little bit more time than that. So when we are startled or upset or frightened by something, when we're getting a signal that something seems dangerous or threatening, the first thing to do is to put your own hand on your own heart. And even the warmth of the touch of your hand on your heart center begins to activate the release of oxytocin. It's the direct antidote to the stress hormone cortisol. So we begin to calm our body back down immediately just by a soft touch of the hand on the heart or on your cheek. If you begin to breathe deeply into the heart center, long, slow, gentle, deep breaths, that activates the parasympathetic nervous system, and that's the calming branch of our nervous system. So it begins to calm down the revving up from the fear. If we can breathe into the heart center positive emotions like a sense of goodness or ease or peace or safety or trust, then that helps restore the heart rate variability and we begin to calm our body down even more. Then if we use our higher brain to remember a moment with someone where we felt safe and loved and cherished. It's not the entire relationship. It's one particular moment where we actually felt safe and loved and cherished. And that could be with our partner or with a child. It could be with a good friend or a teacher or a colleague or a mentor. It could be a spiritual figure, and it could even be a pet. And as we remember those moments of feeling safe, and let ourselves feel in the body again what it feels like to feel safe and loved and cherished. We can let go of the visual memory and just focus on the feeling in the body, which people often report as a warm glow or the feeling of being in a warm bath. 
And if we stay in that warm glow for 30 seconds, then we can actually calm down our body to come back into that baseline of equilibrium, being calm and relaxed, engaged and alert. The researchers have found that not only can that exercise and the release of oxytocin calm down a stress response, but when we cultivate that sense of ease and safety and being loved and cherished, it can even preempt a stress response. We can simply not react as we might have reacted before because we're already primed to feel safe and connected. Mm. And and having that kind of experience using that particular exercise that you're talking about, that leads into uh, what you talk about as the somatic resourcing and, and we utilize breathing and other forms to develop that somatic intelligence. Explain what that is for people and, and talk about how that helps to get us from crisis to calm. Okay, so our initial reactions and responses to a sense of threat or danger are going to come to us from our body and from our emotions, which are sensations of the body, first. And those happen very, very quickly. Our lower brain is designed to perceive and react to a stimulus in milliseconds, whereas it takes a full three to five seconds for the higher brain to come online and even register that anything happened. So we're already in a physical and emotional response before even with practice with mindfulness, we have a chance to even notice that. So it's very important to be able to use the resources of the body and the resources of the emotions, like the positive emotions we talked about earlier, to be able to bring our body back into a state of calm. So deep breathing can do that. Warm, safe touch can do that. There's a beautiful exercise I teach of having people be in the body posture that that embodies an afflictive or difficult emotion, and it may be anger or sadness or fear, and then hold that posture for 45 seconds, and then without thinking, without naming it, without calling it anything, just let the body go to the opposite posture. And you hold that opposite posture for 45 seconds. Then you go back to the first posture for 20 seconds. You go back to the second posture for 20 seconds. And then you let yourself come to something that's in the middle. And just by using the resources of the body, we very, very often can shift our emotional state, even a very difficult emotional state. So this somatic resourcing is using the resources of the body that will help keep the higher brain, the prefrontal cortex, online. We're not hijacked. We're not flooded out. We're not numbed out so that we can stay responsive and resilient. So it it sounds like, Linda, and, and from what I've seen, with different people and even experienced in my own life, that flight or flight, fight or flight response is almost we are leaving the body. And, and these somatic type exercises and the different experiences that you're talking about with hand over heart, it's almost as bad as just helping us to bring the present awareness back so that we get back into our body, that we are really present in our body. And that in itself is that... Is that what is, is, is being shifted in the brain because we are now more present and in the body than before? Oh, I think that's an excellent example. One of the benefits of being present and aware in our body is that we can then very often look at these reactions we're having. One of the key things to know 
is that in the body, the reaction of anxiety and the reaction of excitement are the same physiologically. It's just that with anxiety we have fear and with excitement we don't have fear. And so if we can come into present awareness and notice the revving up of our body, one of the things that's um, really key to know in a recent discovery is that any time we're about to face something new, it doesn't even have to be something scary or dangerous, any time we're about to face something new, the body will have a reaction and it will go, uh-oh, stop don't know if I should be doing this, haven't seen this before, wait a minute, and we can interpret that signal as anxiety, that maybe we shouldn't be doing this, but it could be excitement, it could be what allows us to be curious, to be open, to explore, to learn, and to grow. So by coming into present moment awareness, and I can feel the activation in my body, and I can begin to play with that a little bit, hmm... Maybe this is excitement. Maybe it's not anxiety or not just anxiety. And then the exercise of doing one scary thing a day trains our brain to, to experience that physical marker, that visceral marker, uh-oh, don't know if I should be doing this, and say, well, I think I can do it anyway. I think I've done things like this before. And you get across that threshold of the anxiety stopping you. When you do that day after day after day, you're really reconditioning your own brain to reinterpret that signal. Yeah, that feels like anxiety. I've felt that before, but I know it's a signal that I'm about to do something new. So let me just try doing something new. And as I persevere in that practice, I begin to build my own sense of competence and courage that I really can do this. I'm developing a sense of mastery that I really can do this and I don't have to be stopped. So if fear and excitement have the same physiological response in the body, then it almost seems as if the labeling or the naming or the defining of words has also created our experience, and that would be something that we pick up on as we're a child. I know that as I went through my own experiences and I felt fear, I got to a place where I wanted to rename that, and I called fear instead of fear, I called it feeling excited about reality. So I used it as an acronym instead and not the acronym that most people use for fear. Mm -hmm. And that changed the experience for me. Does that in itself help the brain to rewire? Is it the labeling that is also part of the problem, the identification of, of behaviors we've been taught? Okay, so this is a good question. When we have a habitual pattern of naming... We, we get a reaction in our body and we name it anxiety or fear or depression. And we can get stuck in that loop of always assuming that that's what it is. If we can pause, reflect, monitor, look at how it might be changed, then we can actually send the brain in a different direction. Now, there's two steps to this. One is the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy, something negative comes up, and you come up with an opposite antidoting positive affirmative belief or thought, and you just hold that side by side in the brain. I've um, illustrated this with people who can be very, very critical of themselves or other people, and if in that moment they can just snap the circuit and say compassion, instead of being critical, compassion, and then that that snaps the automaticity of the habit and, and gives them a chance to name and practice something different. But that operates side by side. Even more powerful 
is a mechanism that they call deconsolidation, reconsolidation, where we, they've only seen this in the scanners in the last five to seven years, where we know that when we focus our attention on an experience, it lights up the neurons of the, that hold the memory together. When we can put a negative memory and a positive memory together, especially one that, that discon, disconfirms or contradicts the original memory, then that opposition, that contradiction, will cause the connections among the synapses of those memories part and rewire. It deconsolidates and it will reconsolidate. If we have a strong, positive memory that contradicts that negative memory, when those neurons fall apart, they will rewire together. And the positive memory can trump or completely dissolve the old memory. That's the basis of all trauma therapy. So that literally the, the thought, the habit that we had before no longer exists in the brain. Mm-hmm. Breathing positive emotions into the heart center steadies the heart rate, restoring the equilibrium of the body so that we can remain present and engaged. Neural pathways from the heart to the brain signal the brain directly to release the oxytocin, which evokes the sense of safe connection with others. The oxytocin immediately reduces our stress. One exercise that you can use to activate the release of oxytocin is the hand-on-the-heart exercise that is listed in Bouncing Back, Rewiring Your Brain for Maximum Resilience and Well-Being by author Linda Graham. You can connect with her at lindagraham-mft.net and find out about some of the events that she has coming up. We'll be right back to talk a little bit more with Linda. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. 
We are all called upon to cope with the hiccups and hurricanes in our lives. Losing our wallet and our car keys, discovering mold in the bathroom, missing three days at the office to care for a sick child. We are resilient heroes in our own lives every day as we skillfully navigate the disruptive unwanted changes of the washing machine going on the fritz or the car needing a new transmission. Occasionally, we have to respond with grace under pressure to greater troubles and tragedies, infertility, infidelity, a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, losing a job, a son wounded in combat overseas. The way we can bounce back from such everyday disappointments and extraordinary disasters is through resilience, capacities innate in the brain to respond to the inevitable twists and turns in life flexibly and adaptively. Modern neuroscience is revealing how we can harness the brain's capacities of neuroplasticity to rewire our own habitual patterns of response to strengthen what Linda Graham calls the five C's of coping. Calm, clarity, connection, competence, and courage. With more than 80 exercises in her book, Bouncing Back, you are able to rewire safely, efficiently, and effectively. The tools and techniques are drawn from mindfulness practices and relational relational psychology, and they create an accelerated brain change and strengthen the parts of the brain that we need to cope you recover a deep resilience and well-being that will last a lifetime. You can find out more about Linda Graham at lindagraham-mft.net, and you can connect with her in workshop at Eslin Institute, California Institute of Integral Studies, and Spirit Rock Meditation Center between September and November. All of the details are listed on her website, lindagraham-mft.net. Welcome back, Linda. Thank you. Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about love. We've, we've talked about fear. We've talked about excitement. Let's talk about love and what we have defined as love, both on television and then yet this experience of love that many people have that does not feel loving. Where is that in our brain, and what do we do with it? <laughs> so love, love actually has been researched as one of the positive emotions that will cause that shift from the more negative right hemisphere to the more positive left hemisphere. Love is a large umbrella term, and, and most of the time in terms of the brain and resilience, people talk about it in terms of the caregiving system because that's mostly how we experience love in a way that calms down our stress response and allows us to be resilient and flexible. So there's considered to be three emotion regulation systems in the brain. One is fear, one is excitement, and one is love or caregiving. The fear system is based on cortisol, the stress hormone. The excitement system is based on dopamine, which is the neurotransmitter of pleasure and reward. And the caregiving or love system is based on oxytocin, the hormone of bonding and attachment of belonging and connecting. So when we can activate that sense of being cared about, whether other people care for us and we can take that in, whether we can care for them and we feel that flowing in our system, or we are able to love and accept and care for ourselves. It's all part of the same oxytocin-based system that not only reduces stress but helps us actually preempt stress. So in terms of our early experiences of being in a loving, caring environment, that um, creates a kind of secure attachment where we believe that we are safe, we believe that we're okay, we believe that relationships are helpful. The psychologists have found that is the best buffer or the primary protection we have against stress, trauma, and psychopathology. So love actually plays a very, very big role in our feeling like 
someone has our back. We have a bottom underneath us. We have a platform to be resilient from. And so some of the exercises in the book are not only to generate those experiences, but generate the receptivity in us to take in those experiences and be able to use them to rewire the brain. Very often we have a sense of minimizing, oh no, I'm nothing special, that really wasn't a big deal. And to be able instead to take in the honest, genuine care and love that's coming toward us and let that nurture us and nurture our brain so that we become more resilient, we become more trusting, we have more courage to do what we need to do in the world. So you talk about emotional intelligence and and how we can use self-compassion to really answer that inner critic. Mm -hmm. And so often it's very easy to to think we're being loving and and want to be loving to everyone else, but then to ourselves, we don't have that self-compassion. We don't understand how to communicate compassionately to ourselves because we just let those silo thoughts keep running rampant in the head. What What is something that allows that compassionate communication to start, but more so to be encouraged between the self, between the ego and the self? So excellent question. There's a, there's now a whole movement in this country called mindful self-compassion, which is integrating mindfulness practices and compassion practices turned toward the self so that we can answer the inner critic. We can address that hole in the heart. We can address a sense of not good enough or deficiency that makes us hold back and not be fully resilient. And the elements of that mindful self-compassion practice are mindfulness, noticing this is a moment of pain and suffering, the compassion of offering care, comfort, soothing, just even a moment to breathe, hand on the heart or hand on the cheek, ask a friend for a hug, go for a walk in nature, just a moment to come back to a kind of caring and compassion. And then also to realize that what we're experiencing, this kind of pain or vulnerability, is so much a part of the human condition. This, in fact, is what connects us to other human beings, that we connect in that we share this humanity of going through loss and grief and suffering. And so when we realize we are not alone, we're not the only one, um, we can have a, a sense of being held by something larger than ourselves. So this mindful self-compassion practice, they're finding, is more powerful, actually, than self-esteem to answer the inner critic. Because self-esteem works when things are going well, and self-compassion works any time at all, especially when things aren't going well. So when we have a very um, ever-present, relentless inner critic, cultivating self-compassion is actually the best antidote to that inner critic. This book is just jam-packed with so much information that I think, you know, people have no idea what they're going to get when they get this book. It's just got so much wonderful knowledge and wisdom rolled up into one. And one of my favorite headings of your chapters is where you talk about recovering resilience through reflection and response flexibility. We so often hear about responsibility, but that almost sets us up for you have the ability, you've got to do it. And here, that response flexibility just in itself, before I even started reading the the section, it was just a different take on things. It was all of a sudden there are many different ways where you can weave in and out of this, or there is a flexibility in our responses. 
talk a little bit about that section? I think it's so powerful. Okay, so the researchers have found that resilience depends on response flexibility. It is not about doing what we've done before. It's being able to shift gears as the situation changes. And response flexibility is one of the key functions of the prefrontal cortex. So when we use mindfulness, paying attention, noticing our experience, shifting gears, and when we use the power of relationships to build up that prefrontal cortex again, then we have these two powerful paradigms that will strengthen our response flexibility. And that's what allows us to make different choices. There's a beautiful poem that I include in the book, Autobiography of Five Short Chapters, and I can only briefly paraphrase it, but chapter one, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I don't see it. It's not my fault. It takes forever to get out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it. I fall in anyway. It's a habit. It's still not my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three, there's, I, there's, I walk down the street. There's a hole in the sidewalk. I see it. I do fall in. It is my fault. I see where I am. I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There's a hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down another street. Mm. And that's, that's what we're trying to encourage in terms of response flexibility, is being able to see where we are and choose to do something differently. Yes, we take responsibility. I got myself here. It's up to me to get myself out. But the way we get out is response flexibility, finding new ways to behave. Linda, I want to thank you for being on 1111 Talk Radio. This has been great, and it is a fabulous book. So if, I want you to understand resilience is your birthright. Throughout Bouncing Back, you have learned and will learn the tools and techniques that enable you to improve the moment-to-moment functioning of your brain. You will use three proven processes of self-directed neuroplasticity to change old patterns of coping and create new, more resilient ones. You'll create conditions, resources, and practices that help you rewire your neural circuitry most reliably and most safely. You'll be able to choose new experiences in interactions with other people, in reflections and imagination, develop confidence in your own competence. You'll notice that your strength and capabilities to bounce back, operating everywhere, as you adjust to new challenging situations, make tough decisions, and embark on new adventures. We are in a time right now where we are being stretched, where we are moving out of things, where we are letting go, where all of a sudden we no longer have to label fear as the anxiety-ridden fear that we've always known, but can possibly relabel that as feeling excited about reality. And in doing so, we can start to rewire the brain and move into response flexibility. Again, this is Linda Graham. The book is Bouncing Back, Rewiring Your Brain for Maximum Resilience and Well-Being. Find out more about her at lindagraham-mft.net. And in addition, while you're ordering her book, Bouncing Back, take a look and order mine. It's Conversations with the Universe. And you can find out more about that at conversationswiththeuniverse.com. There's more going on than you think. There are a lot of signs, symbols, and messages everywhere around you, leading you every step of the way. So let yourself uh, tap into that as well. Until next week, I'm Simran Singh. Be well. Thank you for stepping into the doorway of Conscious Choice with 1111 Top Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens. We'll be right back.